to the Carrero Podcast. I am Malia Hoffman, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. Today, our guest is Dr. Victoria Medcalf. She is a marine biologist and science communicator committed to making a difference. She has made many trips to Antarctica, researching environmental change impacts on the Antarctic fish and shellfish. Her previous role in the Office of the Prime Minister's Chief Science Advisor as the National Coordinator for the Participatory Science Platform, whereby communities, educators, and scientists receive funding to work together on locally meaningful projects, was highly rewarded and matches her passion for engaging the public with science. She now is working as a Strategic Relations Advisor for the Royal Society. She has also been steadfast advocate for women in STEM And she balances all of this with being a single mother to a busy, curious 10-year-old daughter, especially through exploration of the world around them together on bike and foot. All right. Hi, Victoria. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, In your bio, you shared that you have been to Antarctica several times. Can you tell us what these trips were like and um, what you did on them? Oh, and and thank you. Um, Great to be on the podcast. Uh, Antarctica is such a special place. I first went down there in 1999 and I had a scholarship of all things to travel down there. I've been working during my PhD on a whole range of mainly fish and uh, reptiles and one of those fish was an Antarctic toothfish. And so it was a research on the, the toothfish and what I found out that sort of led me on this course um, really to learn more about Antarctic marine life and then I managed to get a scholarship to head down there. That first trip was actually with an ecotourism company that's a local company from here in Christchurch and it was a month-long trip to Antarctica and the sub-Antarctic islands, which was pretty amazing. And it was really life-changing and pivotal for me because, you know, I I landed on Antarctic soil for the first time, and it was a place called Possession Island, and it's a a penguin colony Hmm. for Adelie penguins, and... uh, and, and sort of it has some history as well. It was a site that was used in Operation Deep Freeze by the Americans as well. Uh, but it's the kind of place that because of the number of Adelie penguins on it, you smell for a long time before you get close <laughs> to it. And it's, it's pretty ripe. And once you're on it, you're surrounded by an absolute cacophony of these penguins. Um, but I remember looking out... Uh, once we climbed to the top of the mountain on this island and and looking out at the the transantarctic mountains, which are like our southern Alps here, but I describe them as being on steroids because Mm. they're huge and they stretch straight out of the water and they stretch as as far as the eye can see in every direction. Wow. And that day was a beautiful blue sky day and there were icebergs littered all in front of, of us in the view and there were penguins surrounding me and I just remember feeling a, a great sense of home, uh, a mm. great sense of comfort and where I was and it was a really life-defining moment for me because I decided that I wanted to, to do this um, continued research in the Antarctic space. So that's what I do, did after that. I sort of worked towards that goal and ended up heading down quite a few more times with my research. So I think it says seven times in total. Most wow. of those times were were as was as a researcher, but also I headed back a couple of times with that same 
cruise um, ecotourism company as a cruise director of all things. Mm. Uh, very not, uh, for those that remember of it, like Julie from The Love Boat. Um, <laughs> it's a different kind of role, but very special to be able to, to head back there. Most of the time as a researcher, I was either on my own or collaborating with other scientists. I headed over with the Americans um, to the peninsula one year uh, in the middle of winter uh, to wow. do seven seven weeks fishing in the middle of winter on the Antarctic wow. Peninsula off Palmer Station, which is a small American research base there. And that was really, really amazing to be able to do that and work and shift work around the clock, hmm. mainly in the dark outside on the deck of a, mm-hmm. a ship uh, trying to get fish samples. Um, the other times were down from this side, so from the New Zealand side to the Ross Sea in summer, so a little more light, 24 hours daylight. Wow. And, yeah, which kind of really energises you. You stay up really late. <laughs> um, you can do a lot more in that time as well. Mm-hmm. And um, mainly drilling holes in the sea ice and standing over them with the fishing rods. So it's sort of very... Um, wow. It's a very beautiful uh, occupation down there, I think. And then fishing fishing for fish that we would then uh, use back in the lab or take back back in the lab for um, experiments pertaining to climate change, uh, ocean acidification for the shellfish that we were looking at and also impacts of pollution and trying trying to better understand too how really amazing animals like the fish and shellfish down there survive and what is a at the moment, are still a very extreme environment and mm-hmm. what their prognoses might be in the future, given the kind of change that we're forcing on the world. So very blessed with those trips. And I can tell you, Antarctica is otherworldly. Um, it is a really beautiful place and just stunning in its vastness, but but also its beauty. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm sure we could, I, I know I could listen uh, because that's that place is on my bucket list. Um, specifically, I want to go diving there for some crazy <laughs> reason. <laughs> but um, with with this experience, with this background, how did you get into education? Yeah, so that's an excellent question. I mean, in some ways, I could have gone on doing that kind of Correct. work for yeah. forever because it is so magical down there, and and there's still still so much that we don't know. But I guess. During all of that time, I had a really strong interest and had been asked a lot to work in, in the public speaking space about my research. So Antarctica is a pretty enticing topic for education and for going into yeah. schools and talking about science and technology. So I fa- found myself doing a lot of that and also talking to groups um, for older people as well. So we have uh, something called University of the Third Age here and, of course, Rotary Clubs and what we call Probus Clubs, so education at the other end of the spectrum. So I was doing a lot of talks to both both those kind of age groups and really, really enjoying it and could see how much that sort of contact could excite and inspire young people. Um, but, I, but I also felt like, a, a, you know, these, these one-off um, episodes of contact were probably not sort of the deep 
the deep dive that students really needed. And so I was interested more in, in how you contextualise more content around that, made it more meaningful. And so eventually an opportunity came up for a role which I took on uh, five years ago, four or five years, um, and that was to uh, be in charge of implementing a national program here in New Zealand which was funding or helping to support community-based science and technology projects, most of them involving schools. And this really allowed that deeper dive so that students could come up with their own questions, actually, mm-hmm. or they could be part of a, another research project which had generated that question. And, and in particular, um, that programme which is part of Curious Minds, a government-funded program. It's called the Participatory Science Platform. Uh, the, the students could come up with something that was asking a question about something that was meaningful to them in their locality. So it might have been within the school grounds or it might have been to do with a, a river nearby or coming up with a product perhaps that they wanted to generate or design something better. And then they would be following that process through all the way uh, and uh, with the assistance of scientists and technologists to to aid them in in doing it properly and give them the expertise that they needed. And so that was really amazing to facilitate that and to witness that because suddenly you saw students involved over a year or more, months, months or a year or longer in a specific science project. And so that um, that really was was how I ended up more heavily in the education space. Now now that was with that, that was within the ministry, correct? So, so Curious Minds is uh, an initiative from the government here that's led by the Ministry of Education or, or co, co-led by the Ministry of Education, the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment and the Prime Office of the Prime Minister's Chief Science Advisor. So the money comes from the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment, but the three of those agencies work together to support that programme and it was at the time I was working in the Prime Minister's Chief Science Advisor office, so sure. that's where it was kind of managed from. And then, can you can you talk about what what some of the what some of your projects were, um, and then and then working with working with schools? Oh, so many diverse projects. I think that's uh, one of the things that really excited me. So I think today funded more than one hundred and thirty or so. Uh, projects in that space in just three regions. So it was piloted in three regions around New Zealand, and it's still in those three regions, South Auckland, Taranaki, and Otago, so two in the North Island, one here in the South Island. Uh, Projects ranged from uh, looking at whether you could monitor marine life up and down the, the coastline, some key indicator species, and use the public um, to do that. So beachgoers in particular locations with an idea, this one was called Project Hotspot, that uh, that perhaps there was more biodiversity out there that then had been formally recorded in other means and ways through local um, government agencies. And so this was really saying, right, 
public, jump on board, jump on the, the app or the, the Facebook page or the um, or the website and make those recordings and let us know when you see ORCA, for example. Mm-hmm. But also associated with that was schools each adopting a beach along that region. And in that, they were specifically looking at threats to those same indicator, big sort of marine megafauna species. And so a lot of that was centred around plastic waste. And uh, there were a couple of amazing findings from that project, which we can explore more soon, if you like, um, which have really led to national and in some some cases some international ripples. So there was that kind of project, but there was also things like designing a robotic watering system uh, that a school in South Auckland did uh, with the help of engineers from Fisher and Paykel Healthcare. So they wanted to better uh, have their garden looked after, particularly in the summer. So can you can you design a robotic watering system to look after the, the plants in the garden at school sure. whilst the students were on their break? Hmm. Um, through to lots of ones looking at water quality locally around them and in their streams and rivers, uh, through to looking at the impact that dredging in a harbour in Otago down south from here was having on the sediment and um, the resulting sediment and the impact on the marine life on shore. And again, similar sort of format in 10 schools, each adopted a beach and each were responsible for monitoring those changes. Ones on penguins, um, um, making blue cheese of all things. Like, can, can, can students um, make their own, you know, work out <laughs> characteristics that, that provide a, a good blue cheese? So mm-hmm. very, very, very varied in, in their scope. That's fun. Can you tell us a little bit about your work with um, women in STEM and if other people can get involved, if that's an opportunity? Uh, so nothing... Um, Nothing incredibly formal, although I'm a member of the Association of Women in Sciences here in New Zealand, and, and that's an organisation that does does good work uh, in terms of promoting women in sciences. But I think more generally, a lot of us um, and those at more senior levels are, are very keen to support diversity in STEM here in New Zealand and pro- and in doing so to promote opportunities for young people to progress also into the STEM pipeline. Mm-hmm. But once once they're in there, it's all about keeping them safe, keeping them engaged, uh, giving them the same opportunities that men would have. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably like most countries, we're still working, we've still got work or what we would call here in New Zealand mahi to do in that space. Uh, so with, with my new role with the Royal Society, um, Te Aparangi in New Zealand, they do a lot of work in the diversity space and and have produced diversity documents um, to assist a, a fairer future, uh, I think, for, for women entering into STEM fields. So for me, it's been more about a lot of public speaking and support for girls and women in STEM of sharing my own sort of career background Mm -hmm. and to be really frank and have honest conversations about the challenges and the experiences that I have had as a woman in STEM in New Zealand. And I think sometimes being being a bit real and honest with those conversations, I know that the feedback I've had from from giving those talks is that uh, women 
have felt far less alone and, and they thought it was perhaps just them and that someone, you know, that that's reasonably well known in New Zealand could sort of say, well, actually, that's me too, um, is really good comfort for them. And, yeah, so participating in sort of workshops and, and programs around changing women in STEM and, and just really providing mentoring as well yeah and it's mentoring it's neat that you um are also involved with the school so you can start to show students a woman working in stem and you know your success and your experiences and um plant the seeds early i like that thank you mm-hmm. um one of the things that i that i saw when when, when i traveled out there and I was talking to different different teachers and and you and 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 a lot of your colleagues um um one of the things that I that I understood or or I think I understand is that within the um within I I guess what what we would call here in the U.S. kind of like their national national standards the um it, it seems like the government of of new zealand also has us has an environmental standard um which is which i i, I find refreshing um uh, because it's because it, it seems like the country of new zealand has put your your environment on the on the on the forefront of learning can you talk about that and and how is that played out within within schools? Yeah, so we have a couple of things. Like I, I'm not an expert on the New Zealand curriculum by any means, um, so I'll leave that to the, the trained educators <laughs> out there. But uh, we definitely have a, we have a whole strategy around environmental education in New Zealand, and that's called the Environmental Education um strategy for sustainability. Uh, So that's in place and has been in place for a few years, which provides a whole framework around what we do in that space. And associated with that, we even have an association of environmental educators. So that work is cross-agency. It goes across a number of different departments, education, but also the Department of Conservation to look at how that is enabled in New Zealand. Just released uh, in the last few months, we also have um, a whole unit or package or resources based around climate change. So that's that's provided now to basically be built into the curriculum. So with the climate change um, resources, you know, that's now providing a whole framework that schools can just take take that information and, and start teaching it in the classroom and then look at what else they can frame around that. Um, and environment is definitely built into the strands all through our curriculum, uh, which is pretty amazing as well. Um, can you can you talk about what you're what you're doing in your current position? Um, because you were you were saying you were you were with the with the ambassador's office for about four to five years. Um, and so what do you, are you, are you still doing that or are you in a different position? So the, so my time with the office of the prime minister's chief science advisor working on the curious minds and the participatory science platform has, has finished, but now I'm working with the Royal Society 
Te Aparangi, which is uh, a, an organisation, membership organisation with New Zealand representing researchers across all fields, so including the humanities, but also the STEM fields. And that's actually uh, exists because of government legislature. So uh, its role is to uh, promote the use of knowledge and explore, discover and share knowledge. So a very, very broad remit and a lot of activities that the Royal Society do through from managing government funds on behalf of government through to public facing programs, a lot of work in the education space. But my role is, is sort of a broad across some of those areas and to look at how we engage with different stakeholders um, and improve those relationships, including with iwi here in New Zealand, and also to look at fundraising of all things and, and to look at how wow. how we might might engage in that space to be able to do perhaps more more things um, of what of what the Royal Society currently does. Do you have, do you reach beyond New Zealand? Do you go worldwide? Do you go to conferences and share information? And how does that look on a global level? So the Royal Society as a whole is very uh, connected internationally. So they are connected to the International Council for Sciences, for example, and then a whole lot of other academies around the world. So there are academies that are equivalent in many countries, and so there's a sort of a network of those. And then there are um, international opportunities for travel or links to things like the Falling Walls um, Initiative, which is in Germany. That's uh, arranged by the Royal Society here for, for researchers in New Zealand. So... There's a lot of cross-connectivity. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't personally travelled in this role. So it's a very new role. Awesome. That sounds really interesting. Um, you also were working with the ministry in New Zealand. Can you tell us a little bit about what that um, looked like and what you were doing in that role? Okay, so so that was the the previous role when I was in the office of the Prime Minister's Chief Science Advisor. Mm-hmm. So in that role, I was the national coordinator of the participatory science platform, which was part of or is part of the Curious Minds suite of activities. So okay. Curious Minds came about in 2014 as a strategic plan for how we engage all New Zealanders with science and technology Mm. here and mapped out a few ways to do that. And part of that strategic plan uh, included implementing or or putting out two new funds and one of those funds was for the participatory science platform. So it was a de novo activity that hadn't been done before and it was actually a real world leader to fund community-based science and technology projects. So a form of citizen science but at a national level. And so, so my role when I started was really to develop all the resource, uh, all the guidelines, all the forms and templates, hmm. all the sort of methodologies and, and then implement them. And we had three regions that we were working with and so there were um, there were organisations that had won the contract in those regions 
to run it and then they employed managers to to facilitate that in the region. So so I was the point of contact in terms of mentoring and guiding those uh, managers through the processes so that there was consistency and uniformity and, and that we're all learning together and talking together. And then the liaison point between them and the ministry that was funding up also the Ministry of Education who who were also partners to to that process. So uh, so that was one aspect of my role. Then I was doing all the quality assurance on every single application that came through from those regions just to again provide that sort of national oversight. Uh, I was thinking a lot about sort of strategy and evaluation and and really looking at the things that were emerging from all the projects or from the running of the platform in the three regions and feeding that back to the various agencies. And then I was very much responsible for promoting and being the public face of the fund and the initiative and and getting it out there and known and speaking at a lot of conferences and workshops. And and also going and visiting, uh, probably the highlight of the, the role was really going and visiting all the projects in action and, you know, there's, there's, it's one thing to read a report that's come mm-hmm. through from a project right. to say how they're progressing, but it's a very different mm-hmm. thing to go and see these kind of projects in, in the flesh and to be with them for a day when they're conducting a particular activity or have the opportunity to speak to a variety of people involved in the projects. And it was really in those kind of um, deep, immersive uh, experiences and opportunities for me that I really learned a lot about what what this kind of opportunity was was giving rise to in schools mm-hmm. for educators for the students and also more broadly for the community and so that was really valuable learning that I could then feed back to to various parties including the ministry so lots and lots of I've probably missed lots of aspects of my role but um mm-hmm. it was it was very diverse and really interesting. Now, can you, along with your current role, how how has that changed um, with the current situation of COVID? Um, how how has that changed, and what are you doing, um, both in your role, but then also as a as a just as a parent? Um, you know, how has how have how have you been affected by this all? Yeah, so uh, 2020 is turning out to be a, a slightly different year to what, what probably most of us have predicted. So for me, I already work remotely. So home base for the Royal Society today, our bring is in Wellington. And uh, for me, I live in Christchurch. So so in a sense, there's no difference there. But I'm now working from home and I have a 10-year-old daughter at home with me is currently still asleep in bed, so hopefully she'll stay, she'll stay quiet. Uh, but for me, I guess there's no domestic, you know, we can't, we're, we're still in lockdown here. We're expecting a, an announcement about that today, uh, whether we're going to slightly ease up on our restrictions. But but even if we do, that will still see me working from home with mm-hmm. my child at home, uh, home, homeschooling her or using the online systems that have been set up, uh, but it does mean that I still can't travel. So, you know, I very regularly did travel to Wellington for work and at the moment I can't do that. And so it will be some time before I'll be able to engage in that. So so I guess we're having to do a lot of things remotely. It, it probably is slowing down um, 
those next steps that, that we were working towards me taking in terms of being able to perhaps establish meetings for myself and other people with various entities, you know, that's all all in a bit of a hiatus. But I'm sure we'll come back to it soon. Mm-hmm. But the struggle is real for anyone else that's out there uh, trying to work full-time and have a child and uh, keep them engaged and, and entertained and attend to their needs and also assist them with their schooling all, all days. Um, I'm not sure that the, the Venn diagram really uh, intersects that well in terms of getting everything done uh, versus looking after a child. But it mm-hmm. but but it's also an opportunity for her to see I guess even more of what I do. Um, and for me to see more of what the education program, you know, here yeah. in New Zealand looks like. So so it is valuable time as well, really. Mm-hmm. It's a learning opportunity. Sounds like a lot of what your work is now is very administrative and almost political. Was that the um intent when you were pursuing your degree and or you just sort of happened to fall into that as you gained all these really awesome experiences? Yeah, definitely wasn't the goal. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I thought I was going to be setting up a, a laboratory in my backyard just mm. to tinker with in my spare time and that would be me for the rest of my life and I'd, I'd be a, a, a lab and field scientist um, I guess once I got into the Antarctic side of things and really develop that passion for that, that space and place that I'd be doing that for, for forever so uh, my career has probably taken on a very different trajectory to what I planned but that's okay, you know. I feel like I sort of did my time doing, doing research science and, and doing that field work, mm-hmm. and I was really passionate about it and I loved it. Um, but but as time went on, I really did feel my interest getting pulled increasingly into that other direction of, of more public engagement or science engagement in general, and wanting to look at the education space. So so that's kind of I guess was heart and brain led uh, and then just as it eventuated you know my, my work yes has become a lot more administrative and, mm-hmm. and looking at strategy and policy but I've actually found that's probably where I have real strengths and, and passions and yeah. so uh, even though I would never have predicted and if someone had said to me <laughs> 20 years ago you know you're going to end up here I would have been like I don't think so. That's mm-hmm. not me, but but really it is me, and or it's me at the current current point in time, and and sure. I'm really enjoying enjoying that aspect or those parts of my work. Um, one of the things that you mentioned is that you have a curious ten year old. Um, you know, and she probably gets it from you. Um, <laughs> so what are what are some of the things that that you and her are? Are doing when she's exploring and when she's asking questions and um, all that fun stuff? Well, I think she is very like me in some regards, but I'd also like to think that all all children, you know, it's my strong belief that, you know, they have that innate curiosity and, and it's really about us to make sure that they maintain that because I think that's a of a fundamental quality that all of us want to maintain throughout our lifetimes is that that curiosity angle so that we can keep growing and learning and and really being alive. Uh, So 
She has a zillion questions, and I, I think <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure if you talk to my mother that I was incredibly similar growing up, like mm. so many questions about things. So it's about making sure that, that we are exploring those questions and answering them and and as we're going on our daily walks during break time, you know, we head down the street here to our local river or hour, and we've discovered that there are some very large eels in the river. Mm. Oh, nice. And so we go and we observe those eels. And, and what I find really interesting is my, my daughter, there's about six or seven of these eels, and she can tell them all, all apart. And wow. I, I have no doubt that she can, but, she, you know, she's observing so closely hmm. that she can tell by the marks and the colorations and the little scar or, or rip on one fin of one that that one is different to the other, and she can remember them. So, you know, then it's about furthering furthering that curiosity, I guess, you know, where, mm-hmm. where does it go for the ne- next step? Um, is there something online that we could look at? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and and um, and you mentioned once that you that that you're also a diver, and so maybe maybe finding out the differences between freshwater eels and salt and saltwater eels, and what do they look like, and all that all that fun stuff. So, I'm thinking scuba diving might be in your daughter's future, and and since she's ten, she can get certified now. It's so funny that you should raise that. I haven't actually dived in years and years and years, and so I feel. I'd want myself to do a refresher course, course, but I'd love to get that back out there. But uh, three years ago, I, I bought her snorkeling equipment and myself snorkeling equipment. And every summer, we head up to the sounds here, which are the Marlborough Sounds, which are at the top of the South Island, beautiful, beautiful place. And we go camping there and Coaxing her, I guess, into the water to try snorkeling was interesting at first. She was pretty terrified. Mm -hmm. But now for the last two years, it's something that she absolutely wants to do. And she wants to teach other kids how to do it as well. So she's she's a really great teacher, my daughter. Mm -hmm. She loves um, explaining and giving instructions to to her peers and doing that in a a really gentle and, and encouraging way. And so... We've been exploring by by going snorkeling up in the sounds and she just absolutely loves it. And she has stated now many times over this past summer how much she'd like to learn to dive. Wow. Oh, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) See, see what what would be cool is now she could she could take a she could take a course and then you could take your your refresher with her. Yeah, I think that would be an awesome activity for us to do together. Yeah. And and it might be a way, because we're both a little bit obsessed with nerdy ranks, but we're, <laughs> oh. we're, they're just so amazing for anyone yeah. that doesn't know what a nerdy rank is. It's a, a type of sea slug, and there are hundreds and hundreds of different species around the world, and they're super colourful. The, the most yeah. cool-looking things through from ones that look like rabbits to sheep. Uh, the green sheep of all things because they've got little photosynthesizing um, algae that they've co-opted to being inside them. Hmm. And they range from up to, I think, about a foot is the biggest one, down to just a millimetre. Wow. Yeah. And and there's this, these amazing Facebook groups where people share the nerdy branks that they've found and, and try and get identifications on them. And I'm just in awe because whenever we go out looking, 
I think we've managed to find nudie branks maybe two or three times by accident. But when we look, we find nothing. Like we're yeah. rubbish, we're absolute <laughs> curse. Yeah. So, so, so I know it's better looking for them when you're diving. So I feel like maybe if we learned to dive, then we'd get a little less rubbish at finding nudie mm. branks. Very cool. Do you have any plans to go back to Antarctica anytime soon? And would you take your daughter? It's always been a plan of mine to take her and I would love to get back, but obviously I've sort of stepped away from that research side of things, although I still maintain an interest in, and, and there are absolutely still intersections of my my work or or my sort of my personal interest in that space. So I actually sit on a, a forum with Antarctica New Zealand for Antarctic education. So I'm very much still thinking about how we mm-hmm. educate people about Antarctica and get it into the curriculum here. Um, but but I think the way that I'll get back would probably potentially be different. So maybe working as a lecturer on a, a mm-hmm. some kind of cruise activity and that might be a means by which I could take my daughter. She would love to go. Yeah. She would love to go, and I would love to be able to share that experience mm-hmm. with her. And there's two people here that would probably want to go too. <laughs> I so want to go. Can we, can we organize yeah. something? That's Let's right. Organize That's a, right. Let's organize a trip. Can we take an edX <laughs> trip there, Fred? Maybe we can do an edX trip. Oh my mm-hmm. God. Oh no. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we could do that. <laughs> I love it. Um, so one of the things that we that we like to do at the at the end is with with everyone that we're that we're talking or speaking with is to ask them what their call to action is. Um, what's the one thing, um, Victoria? And try to narrow it down to one. Uh, <laughs> what is your one call to action? My one call to action, I think, is really kindness to our, to to each other and ourselves. And I think if we we nailed that, then a lot of other things would just sort themselves out. So if we can think about all our interactions with people around us in a, a kind way, then imagine what we could do. Yeah. You That's know, beautiful. I really appreciate that because when you said not not only for others but kindness to ourselves um i think that's that's one of the things that we forget about is taking time for us um yeah and when we when we're grumpy outwardsly you know when we're angry or we're expressing negative emotions most people don't actually know that we're we're really turning inward and we're micro aggressing on ourselves mm-hmm. so so always actually always that self-compassion and that kindness to ourselves has to be the foundation from which we build our relationships with others and given that humans are programmed hardwired that that you know within our biology for that connection to others you know we must start with that relationship with ourselves and then then layer on our relationship with others now, is there, um, if, if people wanted to get in contact with you, how would they be able to do it on social media? Well, you can find me on Instagram at Queen of Curiosity. Uh, you can try reaching out to me, Victoria Metcalf, on, on Facebook. Uh, I'm, I'm not 
really actively using Twitter, but I'm still very much, um, I do look at my tags, you know, people have tagged me into a tweet and Twitter occasionally, and I will answer DMs on Twitter. Just found it a bit of a challenging space. It's not always the healthiest environment to be in. So that, uh, that handle is at VicMetcalf underscore NZ. And you can try uh, contacting me, of course, through the Royal Society as well. So I'd be happy for people to get in contact with me uh, with questions, um, thoughts, anything you like, really, as long as it's kind. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Awesome. Thank you so much for being our guest today. It was so interesting to hear about your experiences and all of your work. And um, thanks for sharing that with us and our listeners. You're welcome. It's been so much fun and lovely to connect from like all across the world. This is pretty awesome. Yeah, it it is. Thank you, Vic. Thank you.